0: Hi everyone, it's James here and welcome back to CrossWires, the technology podcast that tries to look at cool and positive things in technology. This week, we're going a bit more behind the scenes and you know we do these episodes every now and then you've heard me talk so many times about some of our production workflows and how a lovely little iPad app called Ferrite has changed the way that I edit audio. Well, this week I am incredibly honoured to be joined by its lead developer, uh, to talk a little bit about the history of app, and, and, and maybe to nerd out a little bit on how you know how ipad audio can actually be has been quite a challenge for people so without much further ado would you please welcome my wonderful guest canis from Wooji juice hello hello james great to have you with us and thank you so much for agreeing to to do this and it's my pleasure yeah it's one of those interesting things this started off the back of a Um, I guess a feature request ticket would be the best way to describe it. We were looking for a feature and I said, oh, hey, you know, do you you want to come on the show and talk about the app? And that that was around the time that Fairlight 3 was just about to come out. So you were incredibly busy getting ready yeah yeah that's
1: right i think because i think the email thread still has ferrite 2.6. something
0: in the subject line <laughs> it does so Carlos before we um, talk much about ferrite do you want to tell people a little bit about yourself maybe anything that they m- might be interested in uh how far back do you want to go <laughs> i mean we've got an hour and, <laughs> I've been and a doing half this a long time <laughs> go, go for it as far as you want to share really <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, I founded Roochie Juice back in 2008, and we had an app in the App Store the day the App Store opened. Wow. So there's there... Or for about the decade before that, I worked in the games industry. Uh, about half of that at a t- tiny little startup that most people haven't heard of called Muckyfoot. And the other half at a very, very big corporation that everyone's heard of because they're a household name. Uh, they make games consoles. We'll leave it at that. But I've been programming for a lot longer than I care to think about since about 1982 so oh wow yeah.
0: so some of the retro systems that we talk about maybe things that you can see behind me you may have used and experienced i'm trying to see what's back there um i mean we've got i see i think that's for an n64 you can't see everything but there's a there's a specky there's an apple ii and of course my personal favorite machine i grew up with is was the commodore amiga
1: I always coveted an Amiga, but I never got to own one of my own. But it was an amazing machine. I grew up with the BBC Micro. Wow. Which was a weird beige box that uh, was kind of the UK's answer to the uh, Apple II. And I'm sure you know that, but perhaps your international listeners aren't familiar with it. Uh, It's kind of funny because a little piece of it lives on in uh, every single one of our devices, and on your T-shirt. Indeed. Because the BBC Micro was made by Acorn, and for their follow-up, they worked on a machine called the Archimedes, which was powered by the, uh, a RISC processor that they designed themselves, which was pretty rare in those days. You know, today, we're used to the idea that Apple designed their own chips rather than just buying ones in. But that was new back then for a, for a home computer manufacturer. And they designed one called the Acorn Risk Machine, for short, known as ARM, which you've probably heard of. Uh, because even though Acorn no longer exists, the, uh, the ARM division got spun off and has kind of changed the entire world of portable devices at first and now our desktop devices.
0: It's incredible that that heritage. Look, you know, you, you started off with BBC Micro. My primary school had BBC Masters. I'm in my high school the first couple of years were the Archimedes, so I've used those machines. I'm actually getting like, were amazing. I'm getting shivers actually. I, I mean look, I'm I'm nearly forty, so that's my kind of that's my kind of hero. And you know, for me, ARM um, is just again, Apple's A series and M series chips are ARM chips. Every Android phone is an ARM chip. Or um probably I'm gonna guess. Hang on, I've just lost it, but I had it a minute ago. Oh, here we go. I'm probably going to guess but this little thing, the Roku Express, is probably an arm chip of some design. Could be. Um And, of course, the Raspberry Pi, which powers all my ad-blocking um technology and um my home, home bridge stuff. So, yeah, Acorn really do have a heritage. And the first thing before, because we could spend all day talking about this, honestly, uh, but that's not the point of this episode. True. Although yeah um i will say by the way folks watch out we have something in the works at the moment it's called crosswise legacy and it is going to be our look back at older systems not just retro but older systems that maybe we haven't we've used and it, it's going to be a great show really excited doing that with jack and naoki so really excited to be bringing that to you and we'll keep you updated anyway canis god ask you woody juice where did that come from where, where's that name from
1: I guess that traces back to that uh startup I mentioned before, Muckyfoot. Yeah, we're a small independent uh game developer and we were you know, we would be brainstorming ideas for new games to work on. And often we would be thinking about game mechanics without necessarily having a particular fictional explanation for them. So, you know, this would have been the late 90s. So you could imagine stuff like the Matrix jumping from one building to another in a single leap. And, you know, you could say, well, that's because they're in the Matrix or it could be because they're superheroes or because they can um, they have magic or, you know, they have a jetpack or they're sort of ghost in the shell cyborgs. You can invent all sorts of reasons for that. So we would just say, oh, we'll explain it with. Wuji, can I swear on this show? Wuji stuff. Wooji, I like that.
0: We'll go for it, yeah. Yeah, I know what you were about and to that say. Just, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I was thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, that was fine.
1: So yeah, it would be uh, just Wuji stuff, and w- which was just a sort of general term meaning something magical or just a little bit extra without specifying how that was achieved. And yeah, when I was looking around for a name, I was just thinking about... You know, you just take that and just squeeze the juice out of it. Um, uh, Because there was a... And again, because you have to remember, I was coming off of 10 years in game development and I was kind of looking to make games as well, just for mobile devices. But we all know what happened there. (coughs) Pay to win. But there was a term in game development of talking about juicy gameplay or putting juice into something, which was to... It's kind of what we talk about when we talk about the sort of delightful little details of Apple apps and so on, you know, like, you remember when the original iPhone came out and you had the swipe to unlock, or when you took a photo, the photo would just kind of swoop down into the little area where your photos were kept. Yes. That kind of little detail is something we would describe as being juicy. And so that's kind of,
0: those two things came together, and that's sort of where it comes from. I love that explanation. That's awesome. I love that. I love that. Yeah, that first iPhone, I remember, I think I got my first iPhone, the first iPhone, I think like day two, maybe, of the UK launch, because back then, of course, it was only on one network. Here it was, what, I think, 02? 02. 02, uh, 02, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, I queued up on the day of launch um because I was convinced that it was going to be important and I wanted to learn as much about it as soon as possible and of course we couldn't actually develop for it back then but I wanted to have a feel for it and see if it actually did what it promised to because of course I was yeah I was still working for that big corporation at the time and I was thinking about leaving to start a company to make stuff for it so obviously I just needed to know everything I could about it
0: and it was, you know, for those who aren't aware, maybe those of our younger audience, or those who've only just got back into tech, the original iPhone had no App Store to start with. The App Store came, what, about about a year later?
1: Uh, yeah, I guess because we got – it launched in the UK later than in the US. So I think the iPhone came out in the US in June and maybe around – early winter. That's for the right. UK. I'm, That's I'm right. thinking maybe November. Yeah. And then the App Store came out, I guess, around April or May, I think. I think that sounds right,
0: yeah. Because Steve Jobs was... At first, absolutely convinced that the way to develop for the iPhone was web apps, was, you know, which, like...
1: (laughs) I'm not sure he was actually convinced of that so much as that he was convinced that no one should be making apps except for Apple. That's probably true. And this was a way to fob people off. (laughs) But at a certain point, he was convinced otherwise... And I don't know if that was before or after that WWDC, because we all remember, well, I say we all remember, you and I remember maybe when he said that no one would ever want to watch a video on an iPod. And of course, then a year later, a video iPod came out. And we know their lead time, so we know that by then, he already knew that they were going to be making a video iPod. So he's not above saying, just don't think about that yet. We've got things to show you now.
0: Then again, this is the same guy that promised that Facetime and iMessage would be open standards.
1: Yeah, I think he got. Um, I think he ran into patent issues there.
0: Ah, is the impression I get? Might be, yeah, I think you're right on that one. But that, that sounds about right. Which is such a shame because iMessage as a standard. Is it? Okay, in my opinion, it's not quite as secure as something like um, Signal, which is. I can, is it? Do they use the Open Whisper? It's not, op- yeah, I think they do. I think it's open whisper they use, um, or something along those lines, but it's still a really good alternative to text message. And actually without sparking a discussion from all our Android fans, we've, we've done an episode on this <laughs> far better than RCS.
1: That's, I see, I don't even see that as being as an Android thing. This is a carrier thing versus all of the platforms. And I know that Google are trying to take RCS and turn it into something that's actually good, mm. but. RCS, as presented by the carriers, is just SMS, but more so. And so, yeah, I'm not going to say, oh, everybody should be using iMessage, but everybody should be using something that works at least as securely as iMessage works, and RCS doesn't.
0: No. It's not end-to-end encrypted out on the base spec. That's a problem. Oh, I, I'm loving this already, just having this nerd out. Anyway, so, <laughs> look, so obviously, looking at obviously your video, you have pretty decent audio gear. I, I think you are way ahead of me. That that looks like a proper heft of a microphone you've got there. What is that, if you don't mind me asking?
1: Um, I'm trying to remember what it's called. It's an iRigStream Pro or iRigStream mic or something okay. like
0: that. It looks great. But the point is, we're both, you know, sat here with pretty decent audio gear. And as as podcasters for years and audio recording people, I think it's fair to say that a lot of audio recording was sort of confined to the desktop in tools like Audacity or Audition. You know, I mean, I used GarageBand for early podcasters. I know a lot of podcasters love Logic for some reason for podcasting, although it's very much a music production tool. You know, there wasn't really. I mean, I remember attempts like things like uh, I remember an app called Ubercaster back in the day, which was a very interesting tool. But but there wasn't really anything, uh, to, at least from my experience, on iOS on mobile. And for me, being able to edit all of my audio on on the iPad uh, is, is a huge thing. But where did the idea i mean first of all the name ferrite i mean it, it suggests like metal like a track like because it's a no i'm gonna fer, ferris is no i'm getting my terms mixed up aren't i no, uh,
1: ferrite is a kind of magnetic uh iron yeah i should be more scientifically clued in than i actually am uh, at this point on a friday afternoon it's it's flown out of my head but yes Uh, You you talk about ferrous metals being metals which respond to magnetism. And um, there's a lot of uh, use of ferrous materials in audio production historically. Ah, Um, Of course. You know, the old-fashioned audio cassette tape or reel-to-reel tape even would would be ferrous. And you also get little ferrite beads if you look on a... I don't know if any of these microphones do, but, you know, those little fat beads that sort of sit on uh, the cable near the plug. Mm. Those have ferrous sort of rings inside them that help cancel out noise or, you know, improve the audio quality. And just generally, you know, it sounds kind of like mm, rugged.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, look again, look, 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 I said to Candace pre-show, I'm going to try not to gush because I love ferrite so much. So we are going to try and keep it to, you know, r- an actual useful discussion. I don't promise that I'm going to not gush. So I, I, but I think I can't remember how I discovered ferrite. I think, I think someone recommended it to me. I think it was probably on podcaster Twitter back when Twitter was actually a viable platform. viable service yeah yeah but i heard about it I thought, okay, i'll give this a try because i was you know I, I was looking for something you know better than garage band and easier to use and say or, um audition let's be very honest something that isn't subscription based and i found ferrite and I, I honestly i did fall in love but what was the inspiration for creating that what what triggered the creation of a ferrite version one
1: well that's a story that actually goes back about hmm Five years earlier, maybe? I mentioned before that I was interested in making games for iOS and I was working on one and I was working with a musician who was going to do the soundtrack for the game. And he worked out of a basement flat in like near Paddington. And here the flat above leaked and so he had to quickly move all of his audio gear into storage so that it wouldn't get, you know, damaged. And he was messing around with stuff on the iPad and I was developing stuff for the iPad and I ended up making an audio editing app for iPad and that was called Hoxai. and it's very different from Ferrite although at first glance you might not see the difference because it has a very similar layout it's got you know the the waveforms across in in tracks and then the sidebar with volume controls and stuff like that but it's if Ferrite is like a, a desktop publishing package for audio, this is more like Photoshop for audio. You wouldn't want to set a book in it ah. and you wouldn't want to really edit a podcast in it either. For similar reasons. It's much more about getting in and manipulating these teeny tiny little details to make sound effects.
0: Gotcha. So it's more about all more about sound design yes. than sound production. Uh, sound ed-
1: Exactly. And obviously you could use the two together. You might use Hoxai to generate a little bing bong bong that you use to before and after your adverts or something like that. But people were trying to use that. And uh, sorry, I should say that came out in about twenty eleven, I think, which is very early in the iPad's life. And people were trying to use it to actually produce podcasts and it really wasn't designed for audio of that duration. It was, it would essentially try to load the entire thing into memory at once, which was because it was only designed for small amounts of audio. And so I would explain that. And over time, more people were sort of trying to do things that it really wasn't designed for. Also, I was hearing from journalists who were using it to record, um, interviews and stuff like that even if they didn't necessarily edit them in Hoxley, And I was thinking about, yeah, I'd made quite a few music apps. Uh, I've had a few synthesizers, um, and they did quite well. One of them was used by Gorillaz on one of their albums, and um, another one was used by uh, The Flaming Lips um, for one of their albums as well. And... The, at the time, the music scene on iOS was getting more and more complicated because there were a whole bunch of competing standards to try and get different music apps to talk to each other, which is a very useful thing to do, mm. but in different ways. So there would be this standard for sending audio across, this standard for syncing up the... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the making sure that they're all synchronized in terms of the rhythm, so they're all hitting the beat at the same oh, time. a uh,
0: BPM. Yeah.
1: Mm. And um another one for uh, sending MIDI around and there's all of this stuff that you were expected to support I really wanted to make an app for composing music as opposed to playing it because the apps I'd been making were synthesizers that you would just hit the keyboard to play, but I was looking at this and it's such a huge task, you know if you think about it, it's not just editing audio, it's also editing notes it's also having a library of instruments that people can use for their music. It's just, uh, and they're not just a synthesizer, but a whole fleet of them usually. It's a huge, huge task. But I did do some experiments with it, and I found that I had a really nice way of editing the audio with your fingers that was different from other apps I'd seen at the time, which were either based around a very desktop way of doing things, or they were quite, they had a weird way where you would say you wanted to move a note, you would tap on it. And then there were one of the apps I used actually had little arrows pop up and you would have to tap the arrows to move it. And I'm like, no, 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 no. These these devices are about direct manipulation where you just put your, your fingers right on the notes or the audio or whatever it is. So I did a little experiment with no audio in it at all, just like blocks that represented where audio would go, just to see if I could make it easy to cut and join and move stuff around. And that worked. And I was thinking, I can't possibly do all of the things to make something that is essentially as big and complex as logic in one go. Where do I start? And where I, uh, and all, and so that and all of the emails I'd got from journalists and all of the emails I'd got from podcasters, all of that came together. And I thought I could just do the audio part on its own and focus it on the needs of people making podcasts and radio and stuff like that that's based around the spoken word. That was a long walk to an answer, but there you go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's great. And and that sort of use case, for audio, you know, the journalists, the people producing audio rather than music, is absolutely how Ferrite feels. I mean, so j- just to be clear at the moment, Ferrite is on iPhone and iPad. I don't think, am I right, it's not yet... It's not enabled for... um It's ca- not on macOS, no. It's not on macOS, no, you haven't enabled. Because I remember seeing a, a tweet from you saying, look, I'm just, just not happy with how it works on, on the Mac at the moment because of the limitations of, correct me if I'm wrong, of, of Catalyst, which is the, the framework for that Apple used to bring iPad apps to Apple Silicon-based Macs.
1: If you look at the App Store history of Ferrite, you'll see a little area where... Updates slowed down, Mm. and that time is the time that I was working like crazy on trying to get a Mac version that worked and was uh, that I was happy with. And like, there is somewhere a build that runs on a Mac, but it has so many problems that I just there was no way that I could ship that as a commercial product.
0: And that's good. You know, I'll I'll give you credit for that. It's a it's a brave decision to say actually no, I'm not going to release to this platform, even though. People might want it if I'm not happy and it's 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 one of the things I value the most in app development is quality over quantity. It's a huge thing for me um it's one of the things I really value about tool you know like tools like forever um you know tools like one password I'm trying to think of another really good example of a of a great app um and I mean basically Pixelmator pro Pixelmator really pro like. affinity the affinity suite things things now forgive me for mentioning because they haven't entered the iPad space. So I think we're safe. Rogue Amoeba, Rogue Amoeba's, um, audio hijack, uh, loopback. Mm-hmm. Um, um, those are two apps that on the, well, not so much, not so much audio hijack anymore, to be fair, but loopback is indispensable for me for the live streams. So, yeah. but they, are, again, attention to detail. Now, one of the things that I, I just want to flag here. So we, I've been talking a lot about audio editing, but Ferrite can record audio and uh, as in natively record one of, now correct me if I'm wrong. It started off just being able to do like stereo, like the iPhone mic or a stereo thing. And then I think it was maybe last year or the year before I'm, I'm trying to remember I got very excited because you added multi multi-channel getting this multi-channel recording
1: <laughs> i'm trying to think what year that was i think it's around i think it's when ios 13 came out uh, so you need to do the math on what year that was i'm thinking maybe
0: 2018 that sounds right that sounds right i was gonna say we're 16 now but 16's last year's that sounds about right and that, i know that changed a few things that expanded because without going too technical core audio is not as uh, not as exposed on the front end in ios as it would be on macOS. like for example natively on ios you can't say okay i want to use this output device but this input device it's yeah kind of one it's kind of a one so if i plug in the, for example my vocaster on ipad i can't then say oh use you know use the ipad speakers because it is just native. And that caused, I mean, so there's limitations like, face for example, FaceTime d- didn't seem to use audio interfaces properly. Safari until recently wouldn't. And I know that's been a real challenge for the folks at Squadcast. Mm-hmm. But that seems to have changed, but it's still nowhere near. You know, it's, that's, I'm just going to be really honest. Speaking to Rogue Amoeba about Audio Hijack, they said, look, there's just no way to bring something like Audio Hijack in terms of being able to capture other apps yeah onto the ipad it's just not possible right
1: yeah i think a lot of that comes from apple's focus on privacy as well because obviously you don't want apps you know listening to your phone calls no No. (laughs) to put it bluntly yeah Mm. and we can all probably think of certain companies that would love to do that if they could indeed um so (laughs) naming no names um but the uh It is frustrating when you want to be able to use a single device to both record and hold a a conversation like we are now. Um, And that has been a limitation that people have had to find kind of heroic ways to work around, usually involving external hardware and a lot of cables. So, yeah, it is limited and often quite frustrating as a platform from that point of view yeah as you say there is no way to do something like audio hijack in theory there are ways for apps to send audio from one app to another but since apps like facetime or skype or zoom or any of the other video conferencing apps you might use don't support them
0: there's nothing you can do about it so no and that's that's, yeah, that's, that's a problem. But being able to record multi channel, mm-hmm. um, is a big deal. I, ha- so m- I had a Behringer interface for a while, which had four inputs. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, it's, you can support up to eight. Eight. Now, I, I do need to test this a little bit further and see how the, because with Vocaster in total. So, yeah, so with one, for example, has a total of 10 channels. Um, mm-hmm. now I assume. That we uh, that means that you will only that uh, ferrite will only see the first eight.
1: Yeah, what will happen is you should get you'll actually get nine little vu meters, but the first eight will be working, and the last one will be sort of greyed out with a warning triangle on it. And when you tap that, it'll explain that there's more channels that it can't record. Right. That's for a combination of reasons. As you get more channels than that, it starts to run out of space for the user interface, but also. There's a hard limitation in the Apple lossless audio codec ah. that
0: that file format won't support more than eight channels. And that's ALAC. Is that right? Is that ALAC? Yeah, yes. Which is, um, is that what is at a base level? Is that what when we record in Ferrite, that's what you record to as the raw format?
1: It depends on what you have selected in the settings, but generally what Ferrite is doing is the immediate the first thing it does as soon as it gets the audio is it writes it to an uncompressed wave file that's because say i don't know your battery dies in the middle of a recording nightmare scenario wave files are recoverable if they get interrupted part way through oh whereas other formats most compressed formats will tend to just be an absolute nightmare to try and recover if that happens but They take up a vast amount of storage space. So what happens is every thirty seconds it starts a new WAV file, closes the old one, and then once it's got a bunch of those, it compresses them down, and then it keeps going. And then eventually, there's a whole bunch of stuff in there that essentially tries to keep as little disk space in use, disk space, storage space in use as possible, while never, you know, it's always got at least one possibly two complete copies of your audio as a kind of belt and braces I just I really don't want to lose anybody's recordings if at all possible and I can't guarantee that because I don't write the operating system and I don't make the iPhone but I'm doing my, my <laughs> utmost to try and make sure if it's possible to keep it safe it's safe
0: and, and yeah, I, I will say I have never lost a recording on Ferrite. I've, um, never lost, I've never felt un, uncomfortable edi- editing because, uh, first of all, you know, the ed- going back to the editing very quickly and we'll come more to that experience because it is incredible. It is non-destructive. So you're taking the original source files and then effectively we're, we're just editing that and saying, okay, well, we'll take this bit, this bit and this bit and produce that out.
1: Yeah. A Ferrite project is essentially a recipe for how to make a podcast from your original recordings. It never actually changes the audio in your original recordings, if that makes sense. So that's why those are always safe, no matter what happens to the project.
0: And that me that makes a lot of sense as well as to something else that, that you can do, is that I, because the, f- the files that come down from Squadcast have, you know, intelligible names, but I might want to rename them. Sometimes I forget to rename them before they go into the project but when i then change the source file names of course it updates in the project i can do things like if i oh there's so much we could talk about just going back to recording quickly one question i want to ask so in in the case say for example of the vocaster uh, which has these 10 channels can you then choose which ones of the available channels relate to the eight ones that you are recording on
1: no it's just going to take the first eight But once it's recorded, you can go into the audio info panel, hit split, and because there's um in the audio info panel there's a a thing that just says how many channels there are, and that defaults to being folded away. But if you tap on that, it unfolds and it lists all the channels. You can listen to each one individually, and if you hit the split button, they all get little like checkboxes that you can select which ones you want to extract. Hit the button to sort of split those off and then you can either send those to another app or save them back into the Ferret library to you so that you can then use them in
0: a project individually fast fantastic so if anyone from focus right is listening let's maybe consider how the channels are laid out to make them the most channels available to that are you I mean I think I oh, might be oh okay so focus right folks that means that in this case the dedicated loop back to channels are not available to ferrite and that would be even worse on the roadcaster too so if you're listening uh focus right folks let's see what we can do about that hey uh (laughs) it's just a little rant but but it is great because it means again you know maybe something like for example uh you are doing a live recording now you know obviously if you've got something like the roadcaster pro you're probably going to record onto that anyway. But if you've just got like a Behringer four-channel interface, you can have all your dynamic mics hooked up, and you can record in ferrite. And again, as Kanis just said, you can split those out to individually edit tracks because it's one of the things I always, and until recently, until being able to use Squadcast for remote recordings, it's all, it's either been doing what we call a a, uh, a double-ender, so having both people record. Like, So I've not asked Kanis to record because... I am recording, just in oh, case. thank you. Um, but because Squadcast is doing... Uh, lo- Squadcast is locally recording and progressive uploading, it means that it's so much better. But it used to be the case that if, say, for example, uh, we'd just recorded the VoIP call and hadn't done separate recordings on both sides, if Canada said, you know, like, as it did earlier, which you won't hear, had coughed, I wouldn't have been able to take that out if I was talking, if that makes sense. Whereas multi-track editing is so important for that. Um, one thing I'll say, I do love how quickly ferrite picks up new interfaces it's something like so i put put in for example on my so again i'm we're talking about iphone and ipad but got my iphone and uh, somewhere over there i need to find i have my little rode video mic uh mel which plugs into lightning and is great for recording interviews and recording stuff and ferrite just picks it up beautifully and of course that interface again as you said. The meter meters really nicely laid out you see levels you can adjust levels i really really enjoy how well that works so thank you for that were there any challenges in in getting that that sort of multi-channel working because as you said it it, it's not easy with with core audio but i mean because that wasn't there to start with i assume that was just because of the technical limitations that got fixed in in later ios but did you have any fun with getting it working
1: so that wasn't originally a limitation with iOS that stopped it from having multi-channel. I think I'm having to, cause this is quite a few years ago now. I'm having to remember. I think part of it was just when the version, I think it was Ferrite 2 that added that feature and you could only use it on iOS 13, but the, it wasn't because of the audio interface. It's because it used Swift UI for the interface because prior to that, the two VU meters were kind of hard coded. And what happened is if you only had one channel, the VU meters essentially grew so that they looked like they were, a, they were joined together just because they met in the middle, <laughs> which was a complete kludge. But it's all because one of the most difficult things to do historically in user interfaces is adapt to changes because you have a whole bunch of work to do to create the user interface and then you have a whole bunch of work to do to create the new user interface. And then you've got all the work to sort of morph from one to the other, the transition. You have to, it's like if your user interface can be in two states, like a switch that can be on or off, well, then you have to do one state and another state and going from A to B and going from B to A. So that's four different things. Every new state that you add. If you think about it, if they can go from one to another directly, it gets it starts. To, you know, if you've got five states, then it's something like twenty different transitions, as well as the five states. Do you, I, I'm probably getting too mathy, but do you see what I mean? Yeah, no, I get exactly. You see how the complexity yeah. complexity explodes. And so that's what we'd be talking here. If you think about if you can go from one to eight microphones and you've got all these different transitions, you're having to add microphone like VU meters and then hide them. And then you've got to cope with the fact that because we let people turn off microphones because you might have a, a fancy audio interface, but you actually only want to use it for one microphone and you don't want to waste eight times as much storage space. So you've got turning them off and you've got, it flashes up a a red warning if the levels get too loud and keeping track of all this stuff and changing between it is a nightmare. What Swift UI does is it, it handles all of that. You just say how many microphones are there right now? Okay. This is how many view meters there should be. And if the number of microphones goes down SwiftUI knows to take a few meters away. And if that goes up, it knows to add them. And so, and it can even do it with a nice little bouncy animation. <laughs> so all of a sudden, coping with one to eight microphones is one to eight things, not do so, just doing nothing, not 56 things. Wow. Right. So it becomes a lot more sane to manage.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And it's not, again, it's that little insight, but it's one of the reasons I love doing these chats with people is get people that, you know, things that we, I wouldn't have thought of because I'm not a developer. And I'm going to guess a vast majority of our listeners are not developers. Uh, Developers right now are are probably nodding. Yeah. Yeah. He's got that one. Right. Yeah. Like, uh, and that was my full on Northern accent. There, I do apologize, everyone. Um, The other thing was, uh, we were
1: talking about recording to the ALAC file format and how it's got a limit of eight channels. That's not documented anywhere, really. It's in fact the whole ALAC thing isn't really documented anywhere. It's one. It's listed as one of the formats that iOS supports, but the actual details of it, I had to find. They open sourced it once about fifteen years ago when it was first added to iTunes, as it was then back in the day, and it was like you know that bit in Hitchhiker's Gu- Guide to the Galaxy where he, where The guy says to Arthur Dent, but you you saw the planning application. It's been on display for months. And he's like, yes, I had to go down the the dark, dank, unused staircase to a, a disused toilet with a sign on the door saying, beware of the leopard. It was a lot like that. I found this. Yeah, it was a... An open source site that had been discontinued, but someone else had archived it on another site. And I was able to find the source code to this ALAC thing and find the header files. And in there was a list of the formats that it supported. And it was like mono, stereo, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight channels. And these are the values that you need to use. And,
0: ah, oh. but yes. <laughs> So, I mean, thank, I mean, I guess, thank you for sifting through that because it has genuinely made a difference, and um I'm I'm really looking forward to it. But I, there will be occasion where I'll be actually trying this out more with with the Volcaster. Um, when, in fact, probably next week when I'm away, I want to try a little bit more recording with it because I'm I'm not taking, obviously, I'm not taking my iMac. I'm taking my iPad, my Steam Deck my switch i'm actually taking quite a lot with me to be fair but just not this 27 inch imac um because i haven't got a laptop um well i've got my work anyway that's a whole different thing Let, let's talk a little bit then because recording is, is one thing and as you said these get recorded you can choose the files now once you've got the audio you need to edit it well actually once you've got the audio you might want to do some pre-production on it and now when did because pre-production be able to do, um, let me get this auto leveling noise reduction. I think that's it at the moment. Is, is it what? Oh, I and mean, quiet sound. Is it boost?
1: That's a feature of noise reduction that sort of applies a little bit of boosting first to try and lift the noise away from sorry, lift the, the sound away from the noise to, to some extent. Um, it's worth a try, but it may not help, but you can try it and uh, it might.
0: So we we got auto leveling but which the idea being to try and level out the, the, the recorded track. You've then got noise reduction to try and get rid of, for example, maybe some fifty hertz home if you've not got or maybe that annoying uh build this is a joke, the annoying building noise in the background, or you know, things like that. And it does work really well. And I've used it up until uh we got Dolby Mastering um built into a squad cast. I was using it as the way to do some pre production and the results are great. Now, is it fair to say that be, I'm going to make an assumption and please correct me if I'm wrong, but the power of these A series chips in the iPad, because one of the things I've noticed is how well Ferrite performs, even on my A14 iPad Air, it really performs well. Is that down, partly down to the, the Apple silicon inside?
1: So, in part, there's, um, there's a library called Accelerate that Apple provide. And essentially what that is, it's, it's almost like, um, old machine code instructions that do a very, very simple task, but they do it to lots of data at once. So you can do something simple, like say, Ferrate uses it for mixing audio. You've just got two streams of audio. You're basically just adding them together. So this is just going add that number to that number, add that number to that number over and over again. And that's all that Accelerate provides is simple tools like that add this stream of numbers to that stream of numbers but it because it can fan that work out and actually be doing several of those additions at the same time it gets a lot faster and they have a whole library of these things and some of those are used for noise reduction and some of them are used for the auto leveling and yeah these are optimized by apple for each of their different chips That's the real advantage of it is instead of you having to go look up the spec sheet for this chip and the spec sheet for that chip and having to, you know, every time a new chip comes out, you have to look it up again and you have to decide which chip is in this person's device. And you just say what you want to do and they optimize it for the chips. So that's part of it. The area where the A-series chips come in the most useful is actually in the MP3 encoding because that was also that was a late addition because for the longest time mp3 file format was encumbered legally like there were patents on it and those expired finally after 20 years they expired and so then i was able to add it to ferret and the first version worked and it was great Um, but then i realized i could speed it up by using all of the cores because we were starting to see more cores in these A-series chips. And as the core counts went up, we could really take advantage of it. And people were seeing something like 10 times speed-up improvements when exporting MP3s, because all, all of the work is getting just shared out amongst all of the different cores and then bundled together at the end. So yeah, they the chips are incredible. And it's not just that they're fast, it's that they are fast without just killing the battery
0: this is a very good point yeah.
1: it's, it's funny going back to what we were saying right at the start about the arm chips back in the 80s in the archimedes there's an there's an urban legend i don't know if this is exactly true or not but supposedly when they f- spun up the very first ever arm chip to come off the production line or maybe not even the production line but like a a, a prototype for testing supposedly it started running as soon as they plugged it into the debug set up before they'd even plug the power in because the five volts coming in across the debug connection was enough to
0: power it i don't know if that's true it is but it is true it's been confirmed so there's a one i'll link this in my the shop. there's a wonderful book uh, electric dreams and it they talked to the arm team at acorn and they told that the was, story uh steve Ferber and sophie wilson that's right yes and they talked to steve and sophie and they confirmed that's exactly what happened. So it is that, cool, yeah, isn't that cool? So that, but yeah, that because ARM chips are so low powered. You know, I'm editing full. I'm editing like two hour episodes on my iPad with no, with it's you know just gently, gently sipping the battery away. You know, whereas my, you know, if I was trying to do that on an Intel powered laptop, I'd, like that would be a few recharges, right? And that brings us nicely into the... Oh, this, this, okay, look, there's so much we could talk about, but um, things I just want to shout out. Lovely tagging interface, the way to organize, templates, uh, just so many great features for audio production. But let's talk about the editing because that's really the juice of this. So one of the things I love now, it's obviously designed to be... It can be used with fingers, but for me, the biggest... At least for me, it's the Apple Pencil. It's being able to scrub up, just swipe away a bit of audio, select it, move it, drag it around. What? What? Because obviously, when So, for we haven't mentioned this, but as it stands right now, I think as of early this year, or is it late last year? We're on Ferrite version three. Yeah, version three came
1: out in December.
0: That's right. That's right. And now there is, there's t- uh, effectively now. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's it's a paid app. 'Cause we haven't even talked about this, so it's a paid app and then No, it's a free it's
1: free to download and you in the free version you can record for up to an hour in mono or stereo. You can edit up to ten minutes in a project with up to three channels. But then when you there's a paid unlock that is um a permanent unlock that you know it's not a subscription that enables longer recordings, longer projects, more tracks, and also enables extra features like the pre-production that you were talking about before, like MP3 export, like effects and automation and various other features like that. The smart folders, all of these are
0: unlocked as part of the Pro package. And that is, if I remember correctly, it's very well priced. I'm going to get the price wrong and you're going to correct me, I hope. It's $30. $30, thank you. Which, folks, just to say... If you're doing podcast production, that thirty dollars is worth every single cent. I really want it. If I, I love the fact that you've got a free version because for you know for say for example, a journalist is just doing a very quick audio interview. Perfect. Like you don't really need to do much more. You just get the audio and hand it hand it off to your editor. They might pay for Ferrite Pro. But if you 're just recording quick quick uh, you said what up to an hour recording in mono or stereo yeah, the
1: each recording is uh yeah an hour up to
0: uh, sorry, in the free version, each recording is up to an hour, yeah, which is a great, a great tool so if you're you are someone who wants to capture audio, I can highly recommend far because of the interface, and it also means that you can then pass those files off easily to your editor i e me um you know in j for example, in jay 's case. But $30 to unlock something which, I'm going to be honest, for me, is easier to use than Audition, with no subscription. And now, to be fair, just to be very clear, and I like the way you do this, these unlocks are per major version. So I've bought, for example, the Ferrite. Sort of. So, oh, go on.
1: If you buy version 1 and version 2 comes out, you still keep the version 1 unlocked features in version 2. Ah. So if you downloaded version 1, paid to unlock it to get the extra tracks and the extra duration, say, then when version 2 came out, you still got the extra tracks and extra duration. You didn't get the new version 2 Pro features, but you get the new version 2 Bug Fixes, the new version 2 Free features, and you keep everything you paid for, so you never lose anything. It's not like, you know, how some apps... You might buy version one and then when version two comes out, it's a completely separate app and you have to start again. It's not like that. And we also, this might be foolish of me, but we do actually offer discounts as well. So if you bought version one, uh, pro version two pro is half price. And we did the same with version three. I don't promise to do
0: that forever, but that's how it's been so far. It's it's it look, it's it's one of the more difficult challenges of the App Store. We talked to uh, the the amazing James Thompson very, very early in Michelle's history about some of the fun he's had with PCalc pricing. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. I think it was it was around the time that he got this abusive email about the upgrades and pricing. I thought let's get James on the show to chat about it. And look, we could spend ages on this, but let's let's talk about the editing experience because what when you would obviously we talked about how these are things you want to be able to touch and what makes the editing experience in fair right so special because i could talk about it but i'd rather our listeners hear from you so hmm. it's hard for me to
1: say what other people are feeling when they use it i can only say what i try to put into it which is to make it feel natural and like you're just uh, sort of sculpting the audio with your fingers because when it first came out, the, the pencil hadn't been invented. A little behind the scenes thing is the way that Ferrite ha- interprets touch gestures is different from the way that most of the rest of the system does. Most of the rest of the system goes here's a touch, here's its coordinates, which piece of user interface is that pointing to? okay, go ask that user interface element what kind of gestures it supports and stuff like that. The way Ferret's editing grid does it is it goes, here's the gesture that you're making. What are all of the user interface elements close enough to potentially respond to that? Which ones care about that gesture? And which is the the closest or the most likely for whatever reason? So what that means is if you've got two pieces of audio that are pushed right up against each other, And you go to put your finger on one of them and move it. It's doing a bunch of heuristics behind the scenes to figure out which one is it that you're actually trying to move and why. And rather than saying, well, because your finger was one millimeter this side of it, it will only operate on that piece of audio there and not this other one that you're actually trying to get to. Does that make
0: sense? It makes perfect sense. And it is a very gesture driven interface, like things like mm. being able to, for example, if you're on a multi track, be able to, I think it is. If you tap on... Now, I'm going to get this... No, I think I'm going to get this right, because I remember... So if you, Is this
1: multi-selection? Yeah, multi-selection.
0: Yeah. Yeah, if
1: you just tap on a clip, it selects it. If you double-tap, it selects everything after it on the same track, so that you can quickly then move all of that around and keep it in sync. And if you triple-tap, it does the same thing across all of the tracks. So it's the clip that you have selected or touched, and everything up after it across the entire project.
0: Which is great if you're, if you're needing to, if you've done a little edit and you need to pull everything back, so much easier. And, but yeah, the touch interface, you've got the little handle. So, the little things that I love, and you know, just tell me if there's anything that I'm missing here, but be able to just quickly crop audio with a little, the little, um, sort of semi, the, handle the, the little handle, fading, doing fade ins, fade out with a little, Drag again. Those are when you have a
1: clip selected, there are little handles at the top corners that have little triangles in. And if you drag those, it, it creates a sort of a fade in or a fade out, depending on whether it's at the beginning or the end of the clip. Again, very, very handy. And if you overlap
0: clips, it'll cross fade from the first one to the second one automatically. That's lovely. You've got ripple delete. Um, so when you delete something, you get the option. Actually, if it, you get if it's a multi track, you get ripple delete. And then you also get all tracks, which again does that pullback. Ripple insert is one I, I'll be honest, I've struggled. If I need to bring in something, I've struggled to think, I'm being very honest, struggled to figure out how to get that to move all the audio forward without it overlapping. Is that me? Am I doing something wrong?
1: It's probably to do with how the other audio is arranged, uh, because if. It essentially will move all of the audio after it along. Ah. The audio that overlaps the start, it doesn't know whether it should move it or not, so it errs on the side of safety and doesn't mess with it. But it, if you do
0: have some audio that just overlaps slightly, that may be why it's not moving. That's probably it. But you can You can do that again. Multiple tracks. Is, is there a limit on the number of tracks in one project at the moment? Yeah, it's thirty-two tracks, which I think is. More than anyone needs for a podcast. Absolutely. I, I, I would not want to try and edit a podcast with anywhere closer. I'm going to that many guests. I think for me, it's my personal preference is a hard, is four at the most, four guests at the most, but that's just me. I think
1: when I was testing out version one, I had some audio data that, um, Jason Snell had let me use to test it out. And I think it had eight people in it, eight tracks.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: Huge project.
0: Yeah, and I see, you know, I get we uh Stephen Robles from um Apple Insider and HomeKit Insider, who we've had on the show, is another Ferrite editor, and he always does it. I love that he does a little screenshot or a little thing, a little photo of his Ferrite project just before the show is about to come out. If people look at my website, uh, billsborough.com, and you go into my podcast production stuff, you'll see there's a screenshot. I, I need to update it because it's Ferrite too, but it has a screenshot of, you know, me editing a, actually an episode of this show in right, You know, you've got the look the sidebar which has got the levels, so you can either adjust them like a dial or you tap and enter values. I think one of the things I just want to really say is I love that every dial also has the ability to have a numerical input. Yeah. Which is a big deal for me because I struggle with the dials a little bit, but that's me, that's my eyesight, not a UI problem.
1: That got updated in Ferrite 3 as well because in Ferrite 2, everything was dials and you could, there was a gesture and because this is Ferrite 2 and I've been working on Ferrite 3 for so long, I don't remember exactly, but it was probably double tap or something that would bring up a text editing box. Um, in Ferrite 3, if you're on iPhone or if you've squished the window down really small on an iPad, it still does it that way. But if you have more space, the dial sort of expands out into a sort of slider bar. yes. And it has the text value shown above it in the corner. And you can just tap straight in there to edit
0: it directly. It is really nice, especially for one of the features I'm going to talk about in a minute, which I think makes podcast production an absolute breeze. Now, you've got ducking facilities. And ducking, you can probably do a better job of explaining this, but it basically means that you can control the volume of one track based on what's happening on other tracks. So for us we use that to bring down automatically the volume of our intro music as we start talking.
1: Yeah, that's the classic feature that's used for is to, yeah, if you've got somebody speaking over music and you just want to have that music dug down in volume whenever they speak and then come back whenever they stop, that's what ducking does.
0: By the way, I do want to say, I don't know if it was intentional, but I love the fact uh, that, it you know, ducking, the way that you've labeled them, it's duck, duck ducking and duck off. Yes,
1: that's correct. Any resemblance to any autocorrect that people may have encountered is purely accidental. I sort of don't promise at all. Um,
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And, I mean, look, you know, when you've got effects now, you've got some built-in effects. You've got compression. You've got EQ, a really nice way to do EQ. You've got some presets built in. You can save your own presets. Um, And then you do support... Plug-in effects, yeah. Now, they're, I'm guessing audio units.
1: Yes, that's right. Um, there's a bunch of Apple audio units that ship with your uh, iOS device, but you can add third-party ones. Obviously, whenever that happens, you're you know you're putting extra stress on the system because effectively it has to run their apps at the same time as yours, and then it has to communicate between them. But it can also be very useful in being able to you know have because. If they're making an app that is dedicated to just one thing, like compression, like Ferret has a useful compressor built in, but if somebody dedicates their life to making compressors or EQs or whatever, they're going to be able to do something special with that. And so it can be useful to have, if you want something that goes up, that's extra, <laughs> it's useful to have those plugins.
0: And that's right. and they come from installed apps on iOS. So if you've got an effects app, because it's not so you can't just grab an AU and drop it into Ferret. It's based on the apps that are exposing those audio units already. Is yeah, that right? yeah, okay, awesome.
1: It's kind of like how if you install um, Dropbox or Microsoft OneDrive, those show up in the Files app in a similar way. If you have audio apps that expose their features as audio
0: units, those will then show up in Ferret. Brilliant. And then from a, obviously, you know, you've got all a sudden you got um, automation on the, I think, on the volume mm-hmm. and the volume and panning, but also for any effects that support it.
1: Not all effects do because, so for example, say you have a reverb effect. Generally speaking, most reverbs, if you try and adjust the duration of the reverb, they can't do that dynamically. So that's not something you could automate. You'd be able to set it once and then have that be the value that it uses. But for something like the, the, um, the loudness of some effect or other, or the strength of the effect, or, um, something like, uh, something that's kind of fun is, you know, like, uh, if you have a low pass filter mm. and then you sweep the frequency down, what will happen is it'll kind of get more muffled. So it's almost like you've probably heard this effect in, TV programs a hundred times where somebody is in a nightclub and then they go into another room and shut the door behind them. And as the door shuts, you can still hear the music, but you're only really hearing the bass thump, not the whole thing. Oh, okay. That is a low pass filter. Um, and so you can do that kind of thing, almost like an alternative to ducking where instead of turning the volume down, you just sort of get rid of all of the stuff that occupies the same frequencies as the human voice. And that's the kind of, you can order, you can automate that too.
0: Cause of course, what well, the only, the only thing that I won't even say is a downside is just the nature of it is but these are track effects, not clip effects. Yeah. So you can't say have just your intro be reverbed. You would have to have that on a separate track and, but you can
1: then automate that to sort of, you, although you can't adjust the reverb duration, you could, uh, um, turn it down in the mix so that effectively turns off
0: got you okay that's good to know for, for for a few okay now from a podcast production standpoint this is me saying how we do things when i have all three tracks so in this case let's say uh, got obviously my track and candace's track when we come when i come to edit this Drop them in. They've already been pre-processed in Dolby Mastering. So it's done quite a decent amount of work. But then I've got huge gaps on both, huge sections of both tracks where no one's talking because either I'm talking. So Canis is, is not talking or vice versa. Well, how do you deal? uh, How do you deal with that tradition? Well, you might go and edit it, but Fairlight has this wonderful feature called strip silence. I mean, is when did that come in? Was that there from the start or?
1: Yep, that was always there. Strip silence and tighten audio, they kind of work together. Strip silence basically goes through a track or an audio clip at a time and finds all the silence sections and then just cuts those out and leaves the remaining parts as sort of free-floating blocks, which you can then move around. And so that's, yeah, that's really useful if you want to tighten up the audio because you've now got because they're separated you can move them around independently
0: and it means for example those coughs that we talked about earlier become their own little clips which means you see a cough or a, you know, an um or something like that, and you can just go and just swipe across it to delete yeah, it. it. It's, it's brilliant. And Titan again brings up, because you always, and I love that they controllable because you don't always want audio butting right up against each other. You might want natural gaps. You've got fades on the strip silence, so it'll add some fades. You've got a threshold to determine. you know, a miss is done. It, it just, again, sliders, it works so well. And as kind of said earlier, this is non-destructive. Your original audio files are still exactly as we were. You can undo everything. Is is there anything else that you wanted to highlight about the um, audio editing stuff? Because there's something else I wanted to mention from a podcast point of view. But if you wanted to highlight about the editing experience that just make that you feel that maybe you're particularly proud of?
1: You were talking about automation earlier. I've always kind of liked the way that the automation tracks work because it's very ios <laughs> for lack of a better term, which is that, you know, you have your audio track and then every time you add an automation track to it, it appears below it. And then of course you've got your, so you've got this big long list of tracks that you can scroll through, but the audio tracks are sticky in the same way that headers are in lists. You know, if you're looking through your list of contacts in your phone book and it says a b c d and then as you scroll through the the letter will stick at the top of the screen until the next letter comes up and pushes it off well the audio tracks work the same way so that if you've got three or four automation tracks and you want to make sure that the fourth one is lined up properly or if you just scroll it up because the audio track is sticky you can bring that track up next to the audio track and they and then make sure that everything's lined up right that's nice it's just an odd little detail that I like.
0: No, I I love it. It, it works really well. Again, uh, audio scrubbing was added in Ferrite 3, I believe.
1: Yep, that's new in Ferrite 3. Oh, and variable speed playback. That was a big feature of Ferrite 3 that I uh, took quite a lot of work to get in, but it's uh, it's worth it because you can listen back at two times speed or whatever and quickly skim through.
0: Well, I mean, I'll, I'll reveal a bit of how the sausage is made for CrossWires. I do an initial run... Um, at normal speed to make sure I'm happy with the audio quality, make sure that I'm happy with the levels. Cause, you know, because we've got leveling done pre, uh, pre um, editing, yeah, tends to say the same. And then once I'm happy that I'm comfortable listening, I go, I tend to go to 1.5 speed just for me, just mm-hmm. the way I do it. And then the edit gets done at 1.5 speed, which means my edits take less time. It's fantastic. The next thing I wanted to talk about is something that I think. Is so seldom done in in editing apps, or is uh, some podcasters seem to think it's really hard to do chapter markers. Mm-hmm. I cannot say how easy that is. It is just a case of uh, like there's two buttons, but there's obviously managing the chapter markers, and remember adding one, but there's also keyboard shortcuts mm-hmm. to add in and name a chapter as you're going along. Was that a m- big feature request from, from podcasters to have that chapter support? Or is that just you? I'm trying to remember because it's been there for quite a while.
1: I think, I think chapters were in there for a very long time, but, oh wait, no, I think they came in around the same time that MP3s did because on iOS for some reason, MP4, MP4 files theoretically do support chapters, but iOS doesn't support adding them when you encode. I don't know why but we do support them on mp3s obviously so that must have come in around the same time as mp3s Uh, as for all the different ways to edit i mean that's just i try to support people editing the way they want to edit whether that is fingers whether that is pencil whether that is keyboard and shortcuts or voiceover there's quite a lot of accessibility support but yeah you can do things like if you drag an image out of safari and drop it into the the, um, the time bar across the top, it'll create a new chapter with that as the artwork. Um, sorry, what?
0: <laughs> I, what? I didn't know about that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah.
1: There's a lot of stuff that you can do with that. I've forgotten what I was saying now about MP3 chapters. The interface got overhauled a lot in version three because it, um, it now uses context menus a lot more, which is a much more natural way to work with them.
0: It really does work well. And you can add links. You can add images. I did discover, and I joke with, with uh, Candice about this earlier, is you, uh, to, uh, it took me a while to figure this out. You can't add web Ps. I think that's probably an iOS limitation rather than a throw-out limitation. So I, I had to ask Alex when we were still doing charging status, I said, Hey, Alex, can I have the original JPEGs or PNGs rather than, cause you can pull from photo library. You'll, you will You do, cro- you can do a little bit of cropping. It's really nice, because obviously the chapter images are going to be square, because, <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately, not uh, not, every M- not every podcast app supports chapters. Um, most good ones do. And unfortunately, not every podcast host supports chapters. Substack, I am looking at you stripping our chapters from the MP3s. Thank you very much. That's why we moved to Castos. We've told that story so many times. Honestly, it was... <laughs> doing all the work to put the chapters in to then find that our host is stripping the chapters but once you've finished editing you've then got i think it's fair to say you've got so much flexibility on what you export and how you export it What what's the export experience like because obviously I, I use it but what was the, the goal there for, for that flexibility of exporting i mean
1: i'm not quite sure what to say uh there's fundamentally you can pick your file formats and set all that stuff up. And because everybody has their own balance of audio quality to file size that they want to go for, whether that's because of bandwidth and hosting limitations or whether it's just because they don't want to take up a lot of space on people's phones or whether it's because, you know, if you think about a podcast like um, Song Exploder or something like that that's all about music, they're really going to want to crank the quality all the way up as far as they can. So obviously we need to support that stuff. In terms of the other features, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to export other stuff. (laughs) So, for example, you can export each track independently if you did want to do some processing elsewhere. Like if you did want to go take it to logic for some reason, for some strange reason, you can do that. We've got archiving, which is just going to take the project and all of the audio that it uses and turns that into a zip file that you can keep on an ass or something exactly safely, so that you can free up space. Um, because you know, Ferret has pretty good uh, library facilities, but the more that you have it in there, yeah, it's going to take up more and more space on your uh, your iOS device and slow things down. It's going to be better to move it off eventually. I suppose the most unusual one is that it can export video. Now, this isn't video editing. It's not going to make anything, you know, it's not going to make something that you post to TikTok. But the point is that a lot of social media sites, for some reason, don't support audio uploads and do support video uploads. And I don't know why, but that's how it is. So it just creates a static image with the audio in the soundtrack. And that means that you can post that to social media.
0: Now, does, if it, here's a question, which I, cause we might end up using this for some stuff. If the chapter image change, does it change? Yes, it, it picks up on the chapter images and will essentially turn that into a slideshow. That's awesome in itself. And of course with chapters, you can export the chapters as text or as JSON, depending on, cause I, uh, so for example, I think, I think I might be wrong. I think Castos is stuff you can i think there's a way to some podcast like some podcast plugins some things will support a a file of of, of chapters however the format that comes out in is 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 absolutely valid in in pretty much every podcast host apart from spotify who seem to insist (laughs) on doing their own thing for chapters like the rest of the industry does one thing spotify does another but i mean that sounds about right and you talked about the archiving. Oh, and also, so if you're doing... So, for example, we did a... Uh, in fact, uh, depends where this episode comes out. You might well hear an ad read or something in this episode. But intros, we will edit them in Ferrite, but I don't want to export them to a low-quality MP3. So I changed the export and just, instead of saving them to the files app, I just save them back into the Fairlight library to then be used in other projects, which is great. Um, project archives absolutely have... Well, we save space, but I store those on the NAS. If I need to hand off a project to Jay for editing, then I just give her the, the, the settings. You can also... Ex- I think you can export quite a lot of the presets from the uh, from the effects, if I remember. Can you not? Um What you can do
1: is, if you're using a template, when you create a preset for an effect or something like that, you can save those settings either... On your iPad in iCloud or you can save it in the template itself which means that if you share the template that will include the presets that it uses but it also means that those get sort of prioritized for projects that were made from that template. Now that's a lot of saying the word template over and over again so to sort of make that a bit more concrete if you have say a template for Crossed Wires podcast, and then you make a new episode of Crossed Wires. It means that any presets in the Crossed Wires template show up first in the interface, or should do. I'm trying to remember if that's true for Fairlight Three, um, but <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, they will appear in the presets list for
0: those episodes but wouldn't appear in the list for another podcast got you when you're doing templates you've made it possible to do some um i want to say like prefills, like some automation about you can actually set like custom text fields and stuff and there's quite a bit of flexibility there
1: yeah, so if you're typing into, say, you're uh, specifying what the file name should be, you can do something like crossed wires, dash, and then say episode number, and it'll fill in the episode number, and you can change the format so that it sort of just says 3 or 0003 or whatever it is that you want. That was, I was going to ask you, have you noticed the, uh, depending on how you use templates, there's a kind of sneaky little feature in there that most, I've never, I don't know if anyone's actually noticed. Go on. Do you use the episode uh, air date token? No. Because you can say, uh, then that's probably why you wouldn't have noticed it. You can say something like, if you go into the show notes field and type first broadcast, and then you can hit the token button and pick date of broadcast date. And then when you create an episode from that, it'll ask you, when is it going to air? And you just, there's a little calendar thing and you pick that. Oh, I love that.
0: I've used the date function.
1: Well, yeah, uh, it sounds like that's the the date function that you've used.
0: Yeah, what did I use it? I used it to I use it to um, basically customize the, the functionality to add those into the file name mm-hmm. for month. Uh, for I think I did month and year because very I think I've, I can't quite remember exactly what I did, but yeah.
1: So, have you noticed anything about when you go to make a new episode?
0: no because because only because i stopped doing that recently go on do do share
1: if you have a fairly consistent schedule it should be able to predict it and automatically pick what the next air date is going to be oh that's cool so i don't advertise it because i can't guarantee that it's going to be able to pick up everyone's schedules because you know sometimes it's get you know people might you yeah, know, be a day or two late and that's going to start to throw it off. But if you're consistent about the schedule, like if you always bring out, you know, every other Tuesday, say, or the first and third Monday of the month, or the first and the 15th of the month, or something like that, a, a wide variety of different uh schedules, then next time you go to create an episode, after it's seen a few to pick up the pattern, then it'll start to suggest when it thinks the next air date is going to be, and there's little buttons to go to the next one in the pattern or the previous one. So you can skip an episode.
0: Oh, wow. I love that. Yeah. We did. We post every Monday, so it hopefully should, should pick. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to try that. I'm going to try and add it out into, um, you can obviously in the template, embed the artwork, embed the copyright. It, it, And, of course, choose the audio format for export, so You don't have to worry about changing it because, you know, it really, really does work well Uh, because I've got it set up where it asks, it prompts me for the name of the episode, the episode number, and I think at the moment that's it. But I have previously used the date function. When I was doing – when I was helping my church do their sermon audio podcasts, I would have it ask me for a date, and then I would – you know, say, oh, is it the morning service or the evening service? It would then fill in which one's which. So that was very handy. So
1: if that was back in the Ferrite 2 days, you wouldn't have seen this because this was new for Ferrite 3, the the pre- scheduling thing.
0: That's very cool. And, you know, obviously, Ferrite 3 got a really nice makeover um, in terms of the library management. I love that you can now go into a template and see all the files that are based off uh, uh, of, uh, productions for that template. Yeah, yeah, that was one of those things where I was like, okay,
1: people like smart folders, I should add smart folders. And then as I was working on smart folders, I realized it would be really useful to be able to make a smart folder based on a template. But then I thought, why not just have templates be smart folders? So if you have a template, then you can just select that template and not only will you have Uh, a smart folder containing the template itself, but it contains all of the episodes made from it and a bunch of other stuff. Like if you then archive one of those episodes, those archives will be in that template folder. Brilliant. So yeah, it sort of, what it means is that you have in the sidebar, if this is on iPad or in the sort of drop down menu on iPhone, you've just got a list of your podcasts and you just pick the podcast you're working on and all of the stuff for that podcast is front and center.
0: Altogether, then, we've, what we've got in Ferrite, folks, is I would I would argue is your complete podcast editing solution. And if you're not remote recording, your complete recording solution too. Again, I cannot say how much I think for $30 for the Pro Unlock, I am a genuine believer, and I hope th- this will resonate with Casper, developers deserve paying for their work. And when you've put so much work into an app... Look, these are not cheap apps to produce. This is a lot of Candice's time. We're not just talking about the time it takes to develop as well, Um, because it's one of the things, remember, folks, there's costs in terms of, Look, obviously, you know, there's an amount that comes off from Apple, but there's also Candice's time for support. Is it just yourself, Candice, or do you actually have a team? Yeah. It's just you? It's just me. Okay. Which, ex- which explains the great support experience I've had so far. <laughs> And and what I mean as a wrapping up for because I always look as someone who's done customer support, if you want if you want to share what any of the weirdest support requests you've had for Fairwrite, I would love to hear uh, uh, one or two quick stories of weird and wonderful requests. I don't know. I think some of the strangest.
1: I don't know. People sometimes are just very very confused. Um, I mean, I've had people. Ask me, and this was actually about Hoxai, sort of, because it wasn't really about any of my apps. They were trying to install Audacity on their iPad using the window, like a zip file of the Windows 32 executable. Yeah, I could see the look on your face that you are as bemused as I was. And I think because Ferrite and Hoxai can both open zip files because of the archiving feature, it was opening in Hoxai. And so they were emailing me for some reason. I'm like, let me just get this straight. You're trying to install a competitor's app for Windows on your iPad, and you're asking me about it. This is not something I can help with, I'm afraid.
0: No. However, I, I really hope you put... But however, if you are wanting Audacity-like functionality, have you tried? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Customers are interesting. And I am sure, would it be fair to say you probably do get the odd, why should I have to pay for an upgrade email? Or if I write customers a bit better?
1: I would say most people are, are pretty good about this. I think... Some people are just confused, and I'm able to explain. And occasionally, you get somebody who's confused, and you can't explain. Like somebody seemed really convinced that we were discontinuing one version of the app and making a whole new one. And I explained that no, no, it's the same app, and your existing purchases still work, and it's 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 fine. You haven't lost anything. It's all. And they just that just made them more mad. And I don't know why, I think because I was daring to contradict them, maybe the whole kind of customer is always right thing. And I always, you know, I try to be absolutely as polite as possible. And here's the thing, I am well aware that most people are not spending their lives immersed in technology. And so I never bothered about people who aren't familiar with what they're using, I mean, I'm happy to explain basic stuff to them. I'm happy to, like, I understand that audio editing, even to somebody who is immersed in, in technology, can be an intimidating and confusing subject. So I always approach this with what I hope is empathy and understanding. But also, if you're, if you're, well, how can I explain this without getting sweary?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Can use a Battlestar Galactic Alternative if you want to say frack, that's fine by me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, I'm just trying to say that some people just on a, a fundamental level don't seem to actually want to be helped and I can't help them, therefore. You know?
0: Yeah, I, I have that. I have that even in my new role. Um for those of you don't but, but many of you will know because obviously we had to, I had to hand over charging status to Alex. I'm working as customer support for EV charging. And boy, do we get a lot of customers who just just need that bit of hand-holding, but then they don't want to be helped sometimes. So I absolutely recognize that. I've I've done enough support jobs to know not every customer is the right fit for an app or service. Now, I will say everyone I've shown right to, um, so I showed it to Jay um Alex uh, is now editing in Fairlight um gave him some some tips and some training on Fairlight did a um, iPad screen share and to be fair you do have a great user guide the user guide the online guide is really well thought out and it does explain a lot of the concepts so also
1: if you are doing uh, if you are showing somebody how to use it using a screen share there's actually a feature for that oh yes there is yeah if you in the advanced settings you can turn on you know how when people record videos for, like, marketing purposes, there's often little markers that show the finger presses mm-hmm. and so on? It will actually put those on screen for you. So you can see where the fingers go and where the pencil goes. It'll draw, like, ink lines after the pencil that fade out and then little splotches for the fingertips. Oh, well, that's... um I forgot about that. I knew it was there, but I forgot. It's because... Some of the, uh, beta testers for ferrite are actually, they work in training for certain large news organizations and they are training their journalists on how to use it.
0: So it's, it's pretty useful for it, them. It is. And look, um, you will see folks, we might even have some YouTube videos coming of certain ferrite features. To um, you know, to help people get the most out of the app, I'm definitely. Now that's there, definitely. Well, it's always been there, but now I've remembered it, or rather, can this jog my memory? We will get because <laughs> I want to show people a little bit about how we edit the show because very transparent. It's not, you know, look, yeah. I uh, until I got this role, I was obviously trying to market myself as a as a podcast uh, creator and editor. Not so much anymore, but you know what, folks? On a genuine thing, if people need a bit of help with their podcast productions head over to my website, head over to com. You know, if you're a listener of the show, mention Matt and any, any time that you want to book, you'll get a discounted rate. I promise that's Matt's the deal. If you're a listener of the show, you will get my time at a little bit cheaper rate uh, and I'm always help people out. Anyway, Canis, thank you so much for your time. This has been, uh, you know, I expected just to talk, be talking about and you know a very high level, but I've loved having that technical insight, being able to sort of understand some of the decisions that you've made and really see what what the WooTy juice is, what makes Ferrite special. <laughs> I had to get that in there, I'm sorry. Where where can people find out more about Ferrite and be and other apps and, and you know, maybe if you I don't know, have you migrated over to Mastodon yet? Have you left the, the bird site?
1: So I have a private account on a Mastodon server somewhere, but I haven't figured out what to do about Ouija Juice because most Mastodon instances are volunteer run and they're not, a lot of them just generally don't want to have corporations on there. And okay, Ouija Juice might still just be me, but it is a, you know, a commercial concern. And so I haven't really found a, a good home for it, but I would like to.
0: But yeah, and that is a problem on Mastodon at the moment, is that, you know, I think, and I, I'm going to assume you just don't want the hassle of spinning up a, your own social instance.
1: Yeah, if there was uh, if there was just a checkbox on my, yeah, you because know, a lot of um, hosting providers will have checkboxes for things like WordPress or a variety of other solutions. If there was a checkbox that I could just add a Mastodon server, then I would probably do that. But if I'm actually having to either, uh, you know, go comparison shopping for a whole other hosting provider or if i have to you know actually administrate a server then yeah that's just a step too far so unfortunately i am still on the bird site uh much though i dislike it so yeah but you can also find us at uh, wooji-juice.com i should really get the one without a dash at some point but i've never gotten around to it and if you're not sure how that's spelt that's w-o-o-j-i and juice as in fruit juice. But if you just Google ferrite recording studio, I'm pretty sure you're going to find it. Yeah.
0: And it will pop up in the app store as well. And of course, we will put links to the website. We'll put links to the apps and uh, to, we'll use, um, actually. We've made a little decision. If we are going to link to Twitter, which we'll, we'll, of course, link to the Twitter, we're going to use knitter.com to link to any Twitter instances so that you're not having to go through the Twitter interface. Um, folks, we're going to start doing that. Me and Jay made that decision very recently based on, well, being very honest, based on some of the, um, the protections they mo- removed uh, for certain types of hate speech, which would absolutely affect Jay as, as a trans woman. So we're, we're not going to, be very honest, we're not going to do that, if that makes sense. Absolutely so thank you Canis it's been an absolute pleasure
1: thank you it has been a delight
0: yeah no, it's, it's been great and I know we will be talking further about um, further, it's, it's great to be able to have good relationships with developers of tools we use we will roll that outro thanks for listening to this episode of cross wires we hope you've enjoyed our discussion and we'd love to hear your thoughts so please drop us a note over to podcast at crosswires dot net you can also drop us a comment on the post or if you're a good pod user why not start a discussion there too? You can also join our new Discord server at crosswires.net forward slash Discord. We've got forum channels for each episode and we'd love you to join the discussion there.
1: You can also follow us on Mastodon at crosswires at mastodon.social.
0: And of course, you can find the show in all the good podcast apps and all the really bad ones too. For more of our content,
1: head on over to crosswires.net slash YouTube for all our videos. And keep an eye on our Twitch channel at frostwires.net slash live for our upcoming streams.
0: If you like what we heard, please do drop a review in your podcast directory of choice. It really does help spread the word about the show.
1: And of course, if you can spare even the smallest amount of financial support, we'd be incredibly grateful. you can support us at kofi.com/crosswires. ficom slash crossedwires. That is ko-fi.com slash
0: crossedwires. Until next time, thanks for listening.